crippling thoughts and dramatic mysteries, wonderful worlds of fantasy, denying love of the heart that beats within your chest, or is it just your imagination? Let's dive into a world of novels as we read books from all over, from writing and reading reviews to interviews, one-on-one sessions, and honest writing opinions. Let's keep it real on Mystical Mode. Hey everyone, it's Righteous Reaper. It is great to be back hosting the podcast. I'm sorry Mystic is not here today, but she will be back next time, of course, so don't get too comfortable with me. Hope y'all are having a fantastic day. Most of y'all know me. I'm very quick and short, and I like to get straight into it, skip the jibber-jabber, so let's get into it. Our author's name is Shub Agar. I'm so sorry if I say your name wrong. It sounds very beautiful, though. Very nice pictures. Your icon for... Totally blanking on the word, excuse me. Um, The one with the pictures. And, of course, I know y'all out there can't see what I'm talking about. But appreciation to the artist. Their bio reads, I create. Which, very short, simple, to the point. It's all you ever need to say. I create. And if you don't like what I create, you can back off. Sorry. (laughs) There's only one chapter, which I'll get into my opinion about it being one chapter later. The summary reads, when a writer and a painter find each other within the confines of a storm. Short story. The summary is a little too short. Might want to add on to it, but it's just a short story, so it it can be acceptable, of course. Um, If you really want to grasp people in, because there are so many points to the story that I feel many people would really want to read simply because you added in more detail but it's fine because it's a short story the story is completed 4.6 rating 18 plus and the genre is romance and other now i think it's time we should hop into the story reading is me righteous reaper and zen one of our actors from the podcast see you in a minute let's dive into this mystical mode released. I remember the curious evening when I met Vladimir Valencia. The flowers were growing in the wrong directions, the rain was falling upwards, and the sky was a terrible orange as though we were put in an earth-sized oven. The scene beyond my window was exceptional. The town was a bright beacon in the distance, and the forest was being blown so strongly that, in the dark, it looked like an angry rolling sea. The world was endlessly spread out before me, curving shyly into the horizon very, very excited. But I looked down and the spell was broken. My wooden basket was tumbling about my garden, knocking into a bunch of tomato plants. Cursing, I ran downstairs and popped out of the house with great artlessness. The plants had caught my basket for me and a bunch of beat-up tomatoes had fallen into it soundly. The wind was clawing at my hair and roaring in my ears like a giant brute. If I was a boy, I'd be dancing by its strings by now. But as a young man of 25, I did hold my ground rather spectacularly. If only there was someone to witness the way I withstood a storm, it might occur to them to strike up a romance. Once the basket was secured and the produce was fed to my pup Cindy, I managed a few gulps of water before deciding that no matter how curious, this evening was just not for me. There was a luncheon scheduled tomorrow at Adeline's house, for what occasion I wasn't in the least informed. You see, my good friend, and accomplice if I must admit, since he is everyone's good friend, is the one who's popular and witty, not I. 
Hallmark always got invited to all the parties, and via obligation, he made sure to have me come along. When I became more well-known, everybody found that I declined any direct invitation, and the only way to have me was through Hallmark. I was no one's favorite. I was simply that writer. The famous one who lived in seclusion for artistic purposes and didn't possess enough mind to uphold social customs. It was a surprise that no one in our small town hated me for. I was only ever an object to inspire a spirit of inquiry. Old people saw a youth, handsome man who was a little more mysterious than the other one, and the rest saw a potential genius. It was unfortunate that my genius was not conceived to be fulfilled. The last book I had published, Eating Up the Dawn and Mistress, practically brought me to the majority of my current wealth. It inspired something in everyone who read it and became a bestseller throughout the country. But success never satisfied the people, even if it earned me my fortune. Every night I sit at my fireplace and wonder when I'll get to sit there again. But with your next novel in hand, Hallmark had said to me longingly, what a romantic that man was. Your literary genius, Yosef, my editor had exclaimed. There are no novels which surpass yours in this era. Even the harshest critics are spoiling me. If this is the best, I always wanted to cry out. Then what will one ever consider better? As any renowned author, my biggest fear was that my most recent work would always be impassable, and that it will become all I'll ever be known for. The rest of my books, the rest of my children, sometimes you can sound so dramatic at me, will be forgotten, or worse, ill-received in comparison. The luncheon was going to be absolutely mind-draining because I would be asked about my next book, and I would have to admit that I cannot write anymore despite the months of trying. Then I would be called out for stopping once I made it big, and will be thought of as a greedy, lethargic fool who doesn't know what to make of themselves. A dunce who is undeserving of the gift they've been given. It's not a gift, I always protested. It's a product of years of hard work. Yes, it was true, I could no longer write, I had tried everything. I'd sat for hours in the garden, staring at the bright green clovers, lounged in the library, reading piles of books, seeking inspiration, even had tea with Hallmark and sat among this terrible canopy of dream catchers and wind chimes. I tried writing on papyrus, too flimsy, in case paper had become too commonplace to be satisfactory. I switched my ink pens with red pens, too fragile, then back again. I even sat at a desk to write, and no writer ever sits at a desk. You'll always find one in odd positions, bent over and twisted in agony, all centered around the manuscript. Yosef told me that my well of talent was currently exhausted, and that I was supposed to relax and breathe in the world while I was, mysteriously, replenished. Hallmark just told me I'm a moron and that I can write. I just don't want to. Maybe he was right. After eating up the dawn and mistress, even I was convinced I'll never write something as good again. When it was freshly released, people used to ask me, So, Avi, what is your new book about? It was always a question I struggled the most with. What were the 700 pages about? Could anything less than those 700 pages describe it? Of course, Yosef had prepared an answer for me. And now, just half a year later, most readers could describe my book better than me. The luncheon was tomorrow at noon, and that left me precisely one night to come up with acceptable reasons as to why I hadn't started another book, debate on whether I should simply lie about it, and cry in the bathroom about my writer's block. Perhaps it was plenty of time, and I was very lucky. Worst case, the moment I got excessively emotional, a jolly hallmark would be upon my door and the sun would be burning in my eyes. I should just go to bed, I reasoned with myself. That way, I wouldn't have to be awake to deal with any nonsense.
Hey guys, Mystic here. Help support the podcast with monthly donations. Reviewing novels is a highlight of my life, and I adore all of your novels and comments. Help us keep the podcast alive and to help pay our wonderful team of editors and voice actors. Till next time, catch you guys later. It was about 10 in the night when a stranger came knocking at my door. At first I couldn't hear them over the sky's tantrum, but my pup smelled them in the air. She had the responsibility of tugging me out of bed, and so that's what she did. Elbit excitedly. Someone you know? I muttered, blinking at her wagging tail and sparkling eyes. We were out of bed and going down the stairs when the stranger decided to admit themselves violently. The door was flung open and they crashed in, bringing a hell of water and mud. Just like that, any semblance of peace was disturbed. I cursed, scurrying to shut it in case more unwanted things piled in. Who the hell are you? Mother Nature wants to tear me apart, the man replied as if it was an adequate clarification. As if he was the only one being attacked, he stood up, somehow even taller than me. Broad in his soaked coat, he pushed his hood down to reveal a strong, confident face caught in a slightly boyish look. His nose was shaped to near perfection and was gently flattened along this length. Brows were so dense and uniform that they seemed drawn on, and he maintained a high head poise, genuine intelligence in his dark eyes. My eyes finally rested on the strong column of his throat, and I felt like I was done searching. We were supposed to be having a conversation, and I was supposed to be demanding further explanation, but we just stood there and stared at each other. I came to realize that even though he'd said so little, he was already the subject of my every thought. Is that how people felt about me when I walked into a room as one of the best novelists of our days? Did I finally wear their curious gaze, full of a kind of wanting I was not yet familiar with? But those gazes felt proper, and mine didn't. He cleared his throat. (coughs) My apologies for intruding, and- He looked back at my door, which was shaking briefly. For damaging the door. He didn't look very apologetic, if one went by the upturn of his mouth. It was late. It wasn't but I had retired for the night, and my head was still miraculously filled with sleep, as opposed to all the rubbish I was trying to escape in the first place. Naturally, I wanted him gone, no matter how fine-looking he was. Is there a car coming to get you? I asked, trying to pat my hair down into something more acceptable. Well, you're awfully blunt, he began, and I already knew his mischief before it rung me up. So you're that award-winning writer, Adlai Steiner. Age of unflowers, until the man cries. Now, eating up the dawn and mistress? I am aware, I muttered. Do you have a place in town that you can go to? Are you always this unwelcoming? Or are you nicer to people who pay to see you? People don't pay to see me at parties, but I wish they did. The man threw his head back and began to laugh heartily, shoulders shaking. It was a contagious thing and I chuckled a bit as well even though I was very much aware that water from his dirty clothes was dripping onto my floor, and that I'd have to clean it later on. (laughs) You're a bitter old man, aren't you? I'm in my golden youth. I touched my jaws if to emphasize, of course. I said that sulking, very unconvincing. It's odd to come across a man who recognizes his youth and beauty, but does nothing without youth and beauty. I've been hanging about you for quite some time, since you published that collection of short stories, Homes and Other Sadness, yes. You don't flaunt yourself to impress the public, neither are you charming. You don't deliberately dumb yourself in front of people with power. Why was he talking so much? 
I'm almost always the most intelligent person in the room. Why would I do that? He smiled at me. Most arrogant, too. I shrugged, and my response came out in a rehearsed manner, for I reasoned like this at least once every time I was out being spoken to. There is a difference between being arrogant and acknowledging capabilities. There is no pride in my voice when I say I am intelligent. It's matter of fact. What else can I do but accept it? Now, I sighed. I appreciate that you like my work enough to pay attention to me. I really do. But it's late and I'm very tired. You always look tired. Won't you ask me to come in and offer clean clothes? Not until you answer the questions I'd asked. Yes. I live in town. I was out for a stroll when the storm hit. No, there is no one coming to retrieve me at this hour. I can phone someone if you'd like. I was walking towards my telephone when he stopped me. No one will come. The storm is getting worse. I looked outside my window and I could be mistaken, but a huge furry object was thrown across my vision. Probably a tree. I sighed again, trying not to look too annoyed with him. If I was left to my own devices, I'd have scowled at him. Come in, don't sit, I'll get you clothes. I knew he was grinning as I made my way upstairs. I left Cindy to keep him company, by which I meant to keep a watch on him. In my experience, beautiful men were more often cunning than they were gay, which was a very unfortunate deal for me. When I came back down with a handful of clothes, a ruffled white shirt, wide trousers, socks, and new underwear which I was mildly embarrassed about giving off to a stranger, he was already halfway through stripping right in the middle of the hall. Do you have no decency? I scowled. Then, because he was very attractive and honey-skinned, and tossed him the clothes. He grinned at me again. Where shall I change? Here, now that you've begun, I'll get you some warm water. I mumbled. The last time I was vaguely hospitable was five years ago when my mother came all the way from India to congratulate me on my debut as a writer. You've managed to write a whole book, she told him. So you're capable enough to serve your guests? Pardon me. What was the correlation? Come on, get up. I want some lemon water. The water had just begun to boil when the man knocked at my kitchen doorway. I nodded and stepped in, looking around. So it's true. You live a minimal lifestyle. You didn't have to look in my kitchen to know that. Yes, but... Look at that. Two knives. Two spoons. Two forks. One saucepan. One pot. What is your business? Listing everything I have? Why, since you have no cupboard doors either. With your wealth, one would think you would have at least proper furnishing. It is not a question of wealth, but will. He sat on the counter beside me, joining me in staring at the stove's fire to avoid eye contact. Or perhaps I was the only one avoiding it, and he was just looking at the things I was looking at. What about your wants, though? What would someone like you want? I frowned as I transferred the warm water into a cup. I want peace, quiet, sleep. Material objects? None. Don't you want my name? I looked at him then, and what I really wanted was to be left alone to brood. What's your name? Vladimir Valencia. At your service. I gaped at him. The painter? Valencia. Valencia. to the review part of this episode i'm gonna jump straight into it seems like a simple romance story but i like the soft and general feel for it 
making it one chapter makes it very long and it would be nice if you could spread it out just a little bit. From the main character's inner monologue, the dialogue and descriptiveness, I could see and imagine what was happening on the page. Details are a key part of any novel, so for you to do this level of work is fantastic. I could feel what the main character was feeling, and I could connect with the, the main character more. It's good to make the characters relatable and likable. Deep connections appeal to readers, you know? Excellent writing style and grammar. I saw no real issues with punctuation, but watch out for a few run-on sentences. Got your girl running out of breath. <laughs> Trying to read these run-on sentences. The plot of the story really got me. I can empathize with the main character as well. Being quiet, not always knowing what to say, just wanting to be alone <laughs> and to brood. The main character's anxiety about topping his successful work threw me right into this slice of my life story. Like, this is my life and this is what being human feels like. Connections with him are strong and a small sense of hopelessness. I like the ending. It leaves a little room for more story, but also it's clear that this is the end of the story. And it shows that not all stories have happy endings. They didn't run off into the sunset. He didn't change him for the better or see that, you know... Once a cheater, not always a cheater, or like once a murderer, not always a murderer. It didn't do that. It was very like, you never know what could have happened. That is a skill that not many authors can master. Not everything ends happily. And in this story, the main character died. Clearly, that's what he says at least. So he's clearly writing this from uh, the great beyond or <laughs> the other side or wherever. And it was very interesting to hear it from that perspective, him thinking back like, I wish I did this, or thinking back now, I would have noticed this. And he's speaking, you don't realize it till the end, when you realize that he, he's dead, or at least he's telling this from a perspective that, that seems dead, um, that he knows everything now. And it's great, the commentary, the commentary on him after the fact is it's very well done. Alright, that's all for today's episode. If you would like to read the rest of this beautiful story released, it is on Ink It, released by Shub Agar. And it is great. There is like a small sex scene. Doesn't get into anything too much. Uh, but it was, it was it was a little hot. Just a little hot. <laughs> so I think you all should go out and read it. It's very interesting. Anyway, that's all from me for today. I'll see you next time in this mystical mode.